I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper down the rabbit hole. Real metaphysics. Cutting edge topics. Results-driven active spirituality. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live on the Parax Network. Also available on podcast at the iTunes Store. Welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. And I'm here tonight with a very special guest and my co-host, my favorite co-host. I only have one co-host now, but he is my favorite co-host, uh, Jason. Well, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and our guest, Denise, who has written an unbelievable amount of books on the topic of New Orleans voodoo. Uh, she's considered one of the experts, um, and she has actual family experience having lived in New Orleans uh, which not everyone into New Orleans voodoo can say that um, she is generally self-published several books over the last decade she's got a PhD uh, and she recently got one of her books republished the voodoo hoodoo spellbook under Wiser uh, she's known throughout the country as an experienced hoodoo and root worker uh, within the New Orleans tradition, and she's the founder of a magazine that I hope to write for, but as everyone knows, I've been busy, which is called Hoodoo and Conjure. Uh, she's considered one of the most foremost experts on hoodoo oils, potions, gris gris, and a lot of other services. Uh, she is also an expert on Native American spirituality, really has studied uh, that topic and Native American psychology and quality of life and wellness really lives it to the to the hilt. Not just you know write a book and forget about it. She really lives this. And without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So, we, as our listeners know, we we've had a couple hoodoo people on the show. We we love hoodoo and root working, and maybe we could start off because. Well, you know, I have a couple, few of your books, actually. So right there, that tells you something for all the listeners. Um, but what's, maybe you could go over some of the differences between New Orleans voodoo and actual hoodoo. Oh, wow. That, that's, that's, that's a good wrong. question. I'll see. Mm, uh, of course you would start off with that one. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. Let's go right to the chase, right? Let's do that, because, you know, it's not an easy, it's not an easy explanation. But let's see if I can break it down here. Okay, well, for the main thing, and one of my main points that I try to get across in my writing is that um, New Orleans voodoo and hoodoo 
are not necessarily two separate things in New Orleans. Um, there's a lot of people who uh, do both. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see over time in some of the writings that, you know, uh, they call voodoo hoodoo and hoodoo voodoo. It's, it's interchangeable because a lot of the practices and, the, you know, the traditions are intertwined. Um, and it can be hard to tease everything apart. It doesn't seem natural to me to tease it apart. Um, at least, you know, when I grew up, when I was growing up, that's the way it was. Um, um, nowadays, you know, I'm sure there are people who've been, you know, initiated as adults in Haitian voodoo um, or a related tradition, and so for them it is more of a separate thing. But I think for those of us who are born and raised in the tradition, or born and raised in New Orleans culture, um, it's not such a cut-and-dry um, thing. Um, it's been my experience after having been initiated that it seems cut and dry initially, and then you start going into more like Micaiah magic and the stuff that you do to just make things happen, and it starts mm -hmm. to look more and more and more like a lot of the stuff you do in, in Conjure and some of the uh, oh Congo magics, essentially right. more and more and more like a similarity in the kinds of spell work that you would do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, hoodoo came over with the slaves. It you know, didn't start uh, once it got here, and I think that's one of the big misconceptions. And since we had, um, you know, slaves come from directly from Africa, um, we got that tradition, and um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's that's the reason why it's so. Uh, intertwined because it really it came as it came that way so uh, this was definitely something that that the Africans were doing in their own religious practices um, even before voodoo and hoodoo as we know them today uh, I don't know even before I think in tandem to um, uh, there's a complete system of herbal uh, healing and, and mystical tradition in Africa from which hoodoo derives, um, and uh, it's intimately connected to the spirits of voodoo. You know, it's said that uh, Legba receives the, um, the knowledge of the healing powers of the herbs and the roots and all of that from the forest spirits, the Azizas. And so, you, how can you separate those two if if indeed that's where we get that knowledge from Legba who's the primary voodoo spirit right? Yes, yes Yeah. so that's where I always go back to um, it, it, it started to separate out here in the United States largely due to um, I think just time you know as there were more people who were um, um American-born and not, you know, uh, no longer brought from Africa, and then also, obviously, because of uh, the commercialization of hoodoo that happened. Um, and so, well, let, you know, let me ask you this. Um, yeah. We're looking at the fact that hoodoo came from voodoo religion. Mm -hmm. So here in the States, we see a lot of Christian practitioners of hoodoo. Right. And I'm looking at how did that transition out of the religion of voodoo and get incorporated into Christianity? Well, uh, through colonization, right? Correct. 
the, through the demonization of, you know, African traditions and, you know, black and brown people. So, you know, I mean, that's happened for, you know, ever since Christianity was about, was around, especially with regards to indigenous um, religions, but really any other religion that's not Christianity. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's where that came from. Uh, well, certainly, Go ahead. Cer certainly we had this situation going on where Christianity was being pushed onto the Africans that had come over as slaves. And I just found it very interesting that Christianity, uh, or Caucasian Christians, actually started to pick up the hoodoo tradition and incorporate right. it in their blend of Christianity. Right, right. Well, <clears throat> you know, hoodoo did obviously um, evolve once it got here to um, and so it, it does look different here, obviously, now than it did uh, initially because of all the different cultural influences, particularly in New Orleans. Um, you know, um, people adapted to, you know, the traditions around them and absorbed some of those things, uh, particularly, you know, Native people. And uh, then we had the European folk magic and that kind of thing. And so um, th there are all those... Uh, those traditions. And then in New Orleans also, we have a unique influence, which is the Catholicism, which isn't seen everywhere in the U.S. Mostly it's around Louisiana. Um, and that happened as a result of the, the Code Noir, the Black Co Louisiana Black Code. Uh, again, it was um, basically a law that was put in place that forbade anybody to practice any religion other than Catholicism. And so slaves had to, um, if they wanted to express themselves spiritually, they had to do so in a manner that appeared Catholic. Um, and initially, you know, they used uh, the, the Catholic saints to cloak uh, working with the African spirits because there were a lot of similarities with some of the, with some of the saints and the, and the spirits. Uh, and then I think, again, over time, um, we just adapted uh, and adopted the saints as well as the the, spirit, the voodoo spirits, not to replace them, but as well as. So we had that addition to it. Uh, so you don't see a lot of the Protestant, you know, influence in New Orleans. It's mostly Catholic. One of the interesting things that I've always found, at least about uh, New Orleans voodoo, is that it is so willing, being such a almost like the the food gumbo to just take in new elements mm -hmm. that that seem to work um, right. um, do, do you personally uh, find that like I know many hoodoo practitioners find that they get a lot of good results working with Native American spirits in, in hoodoo traditions sure sure I think you know that's uh, uh, that's it's a logical thing that happens I mean with a with a city like New Orleans, with a culture like New Orleans that is comprised of multiple cultures um, and people from all over the world, um, it quite naturally would evolve to you know uh, to be what we call Creole voodoo. So, so that we embrace other traditions, we don't exclude them, uh, and so you know some people may um, incorporate. Catholic or Christian elements, and some people may not. Um, and I use this example uh, quite a bit with um, to, to illustrate how um, fluid and adaptable New Orleans voodoo is. With uh, 
you know, the New Orleans Voodoo Spiritual Temple, they um, uh, will, they use uh, the Buddhist uh, principles and, and Buddhist religion and have mixed, uh, you know, those two uh, traditions together. And, and they complement each other quite nicely. Yeah, I, I, I uh, had numerous conversations with Louis and he, mm -hmm. uh, Martini, who would tell me about that. And, right. Uh, you know, how he's... And how they mixed uh, New Orleans voodoo, Buddhism, and Thelema uh, in a lot of ways, which is Alistair Crowley's, if, if the listeners don't know, uh, mm -hmm. philosophy, uh, into a workable system. And having been at a couple of their, not as many as you, I, I bet, but being at a couple of their dances, they're real possessions and very powerful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, in New Orleans... What I what I what really um, strikes me is how open we are to other traditions as as compared to some of the other African related traditions. Um, I don't know. You know, I was taught that it's uh, an inclusive tradition, not an exclusive tradition. So, um, you know, we don't uh, shut people out or 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 have that kind of rigid. Um, uh, dogma attached to it as you might find out elsewhere one, one of the things to go back to the saint the saint comments like in in the voodoo hoodoo spellbook the old one the first edition mm -hmm. not the second yeah. edition you know you're talking about working with um saint michael in a way that you would work with an orisha or a Lua. and I, I can both me and jason have experience of working with saint michael and in that capacity so I mean that's a very tangible example of what you're saying that's a Catholic saint but all of a sudden it's not just an icon you, you're you're talking about having an altar and asking Saint Michael to do things for you uh, Correct. in the same Correct. way same way other people might ask the dead or you know so other people might ask the Arisha mm-hmm right and Saint Michael is a favorite saint amongst uh, spiritualist circles too and in fact, uh, you'll find him with many people um, sharing the same altar as Blackhawk and uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, which are like the, the three uh, warriors <laughs> of uh, spiritualist hoodoo. Huh. That's, wow, that's, that's really, interesting. really That is really interesting. Yeah. So do they treat Dr. Martin Luther King like a modern-day Lawal? No, I think he's more like a revered ancestor. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that's my understanding of it. Um, they'd be more like a revered ancestor. And it wouldn't surprise me if one day he did rise to the you know status of Lua eventually, because um, he was so you know such a significant player in, in uh, African American history and history in, in race relations. Right. Certainly. Certainly, yeah. certainly, mm -hmm. great figure in American history. Mm-hmm. So, any other interesting examples of, of figures that have been canonized into this tradition? Um, oh, how about Mary Magdalene? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah? I thought you were going to go to the more common one that they talk about, you know, Marie Laveau, but Mary Magdalene's one. Yeah, yeah Mary Magdalene and uh, uh, Queen Esther, she's another one in the spiritualist churches. Uh, you know, we, we Mary Magdalene's considered a saint. 
and of course she you know she'd be the patroness of hairdressers and hairstylists um people who uh, are in the sex industry um uh, people who are uh, women who are are uh, well vulnerable those kinds of things um yeah so those are those are two other ones um uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so I guess as far as what would you say would be some core principles of New Orleans voodoo as a religion? It's it's very inclusive, but there must be core principles that adhere to this religion. Um well, reverence to ancestors is the first. I mean, okay. that's the foundation of New Orleans Voodoo. Um, you know, is, is reverence to ancestors. You have to have, you know, that uh, relationship with them before, you know, uh, anything else. Um, that's always uh, the first place to start. So... Um, See, interesting, we, we just got through about three shows in the ancestor work. Really? And we even did a live show where the dead were screwing with me badly and screwed my whole electronic systems up for a little while. It was pretty funny. Yes. Because yes. people like uh, people like actually had experiences even though the, the hypnosis wasn't there, so it was really funny. <laughs> cool. But but that happened, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on Halloween, so you're of course you're like. Uh, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> it was it was perfect. It sounded a lot better after I like went back and edited it. Uh huh. The live show was kind of like all you heard was a rattle for thirty minutes, but people really got uh, pretty well entranced and mm -hmm. were experiencing their ancestors. And wow, it's kind of one of the things that uh, we've harped on. At least I have. Uh, on the show is that getting it right with your ancestors, you're 75% of the way there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so many people want to skip over to the magic. <laughs> you know, I think that's what uh, attracts a lot of people because they just want something to happen in their lives and they don't want to do all the work that, you know, is going to um, ensure success in most of what they do or they'd rather just skip over to it. Uh, well, they're not really interested in the religious aspects of it. Well, see, we're in an interesting time right now where there's a mm -hmm. lot of paranormal TV shows and, and people are becoming more and more in tune with the spirit world, and it's a lot more accepted now than what it was even a decade ago. Right. So I wonder, in a, in a very Christian-biased culture, would you recommend ancestral work to people? Are there prejudices in their head that that, that might scare them? Um, I, I think, I think, well, one of the trends I've noticed and um, a lot of the people I've spoken to is in the, the current shows, the, the, you know, ghost hunting shows and the paranormal shows, how many times do people just jump to demonology? Oh, my God. It's like the first thing. It's like everything's a demon. Like, it it's must a demon. be a demon. Yeah. Dude, exactly. I mean, I want to tell people, don't you ever think the demons have something better to do? <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a very great example of, of that parallel of, of, you know, we have this Christian mindset that goes, hey, something's going on. It must be a demon. Right. Right. 
And then, of course, the Christian prayers, you know, to get rid of everybody. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's too bad, because I think, you know, most of the time, they're benign spirits that are just hanging out, um, because that's where they spent most of their time when they were alive, or, or an ancestor trying to, you know, get contact with, with somebody, and they're not able to. And, and that's sad when you think about it. You know, what if it's Grandma? <laughs> she, uh, uh, she just uh, wants to say hi, you know, or yeah, that's something. One of the, and you're like calling her a demon and shoot, <laughs> get away, you know. That's that's one of the things that I actually find uh, actually personally disheartening is, is, is that I joke around about you know uh, about it, but relatively speaking, despite what I think generally Christians want everyone to believe. It's relatively rare to have an actual demon bothering someone. Usually, it's a problem with. It usually is a problem with the dead of some sort, or the ancestors, or. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's probably pretty familiar to your experience as well. It sounds like it's just, it's just actual demons don't aren't hanging around that much. It, there's not that many people. Well, I mean, there's a few people who can bring them here, but it's not like they just, you know. They're just everywhere. It's it's just it's never been like that in my experience. Right. Well, I think from my experience, those who find them tend to have went looking for them first. Well, and then we can get into even deeper conversation uh, about what a demon is, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, everybody assumes that a demon is like you know the the Christian uh, you know construct of the devil. Um. And, you know, so you want to tell people that, no, actually, you know, all demons are not, you know, um, bad guys. <laughs> no, and, really and get a good conversation and, and going. <laughs> if you try to tell somebody in Chinese mythology, demons are usually not so bad. They're actually right. okay. Or you know, if you tell uh, somebody that uh, you know uh, uh, that 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 thing you think is a demon was actually a canite god, uh, right? <laughs> you know, like not too long ago. And so, I mean, that was something we had some on the show would talk about the different gods from Canaanite religion that got politically demonized. So it's... it's right. Well, and there's also this language problem with, with English and it's very broad words that it uses for as blanket terms. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, I think almost every culture is going to agree. They're spirits. And they're spirits of more positive alignments, more negative alignments. But when we use a blanket word like demon, which is actually derived from a word that was daemon, which was Greek for spirit, Right. Right. Exactly. And you know that's 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 the influence of uh, of Christianity. You know, it's been history's been rewritten, mythology's been rewritten, uh, cultures have been rewritten through the lens of Christianity. Um, Now don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not bashing Christians. I think there's great Christian people. but you can't deny the impact that Christianity has had over time on so many world views and religions and people. It's just, you know, it's profound. Right, and I agree with what you're saying there. Uh, could you say there's a trend going on in New Orleans right now where not necessarily the newer hoodoo practitioners aren't as reliant on the Christian the Christian background as, say, practitioners were 20 years ago? Uh, 
you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I think there's a there's a gener a generation or two of us who, you know, didn't get that um, Christian influence, um, and I don't know if that's you know we were after or before. I'm not sure. Well, see, I, I, I find that really. Yeah, and I find your perspective really interesting because I've read a couple other authors here recently that seem to be, they really push hard the fact that Christianity is very ingrained in New Orleans hoodoo. Yeah, well, no. And you seem to be coming at it from a different angle, so, well, you know. Go, you know, look at, the, look at the temples. Those are the, you know, look, look at what they're doing. It's, you know, some people are, some people aren't. It's a very individual thing in New Orleans, which is, Another one of the things I really love about it, it's not, there's not a one right, right way to do it in terms of what um, uh, complementary religion you want to incorporate with New Orleans voodoo. I, you know what, I love, I love New Orleans voodoo for that reason as well, and it, it's just like, I, I use the metaphor of gumbo, everyone makes gumbo differently. <laughs> Right. It's uh, it's the best metaphor I can have. Now, right. one of the things that I, I did want to touch upon is because I have several of your books, and they're all fantastic, and you give lots of details in the books. So yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot a little. And oh, why? I know why. It's just, you know, we're just doing a radio interview, but uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, I was going to ask you to maybe give one of your favorite spells that you feel comfortable with and and tell the audience about it. Uh, to go from the religious to now the, the magical, because I know some people right. will like that, you know? Right, right, right. Um, hmm, one of my favorites. Well, a lot of my favorites have to do with... Um, uh, the various spirits. I work with a lot of the spirits with my work. I, I, I have, I don't always, like a lot of hoodoo practitioners will just do the magic. They don't really incorporate the spirits, but I typically do um, work with the spirits. I like to do magic lamps, for, for example. Um, I'll make a magic lamp to, you know, a particular spirit, like say for Blackhawks. Um, I'll make a magic lamp for him to um, have him help me, you know, fight any battles or difficulties I may be going through and needs a little bit of uh, relief. Um, he's really good about that, helping. Uh, so, um, yeah, so, you know, to make a magic lamp for him, you just get a container of some sort. And I like to use the large abalone shells because that's such an Indian thing. Um, and... Uh, uh, put a little sage and cedar and arrowhead in there and fill it up with some olive oil, uh, a little wick, and and uh, um, light it up and put your, you know, make your petition to him um, for help. And, and that's, that's you know, lamps are one of my favorite things. We definitely, I think, look, I, think uh, I would definitely share that because I've taught a few lamp classes. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll make lamps to angels and <laughs> lamps to various... I'll make lamps to my ancestors in some cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. You can, you can make a lamp to, to anybody, really. Um, pretty much for anything, anybody. 
But uh, another one that I really like, um, and and I shared this uh, on another interview I had last week, but it's really one of my favorites. Um, is a it's a money drawing ritual that is really it's like paying it forward. Oh, right, um, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I like those kinds of things because it's just if you can get to the point where you're doing um, magic for the greater good for benefit of somebody else and do it without attachment just because it's it's a cool thing to do and not because of all the blessings that will come from it um, then you will have a lot of blessings if you can get to that point um, it, and, and my son and I will do this we'll, we'll take dollar bills um, sometimes five dollar bills and uh, write a make what we call blessed bucks and you know, write like a little uh, blessing on there for you know that may that say you know may you be blessed with uh, health, wealth, and love. Um, may you get out of debt. May you or may you be debt free. You know, uh, may you have happiness. That kind of thing. And then we take a, uh, a glue stick and <laughs> put the dollars in our in our pockets. We take the glue stick and we're going to the grocery store or something, and we'll. Uh, Put a little bit of that glue in the back of the of the buck and and stick it, uh, you know, on something in the store on a shelf where somebody's going to pull it out and see it. Um, I like to do it like on on diapers and baby things because people spend so much money on diapers, you know. Um, and I just That's imagine really how how cool that is, how cool that would be to pull it out and, and find a blessed buck, you know. You know what? That would be awesome if we could like do that and have a camera to see how many people ignore the dollar thinking oh, that was yeah. something was up or, or, right. or they would see it and they would walk away thinking it's got to be a trick you know or something right. that would be that would be a good uh a good hidden camera thing reality reality uh <laughs> episode <laughs> who would actually take the dollar right, right in front of them that is right. the question of the show and see people confused right you know, right through the show yeah. oh yeah, because we're so, so ingrained with not having anybody just randomly do something kind. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I like potted plant spells, too. Tell, oh, do tell, tell. tell us. Yeah, definitely. Those, those are really cool. Um, and, and especially for the urban practitioner, you know, uh, people are... People who don't have access to a garden, you know, where you might fix a bottle spell and and you know bury it in the in the front yard of your home or a garden, that kind of thing. Or if you, yeah, you just um, the cool thing about plant potted plants though is not only is it good for like the person who um, lives in an apartment, um, or really anybody, but particularly people who are in an apartment. Or say you want to deliver a work, <laughs> you can do it really clandestinely by. You know, given a, uh, the gift of a plant, and of course that can work. You know, either way, it can be a you know a good thing or a bad thing. But but uh, the delivery is pretty cool. Um, I'm a, taking notes right now. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so so you know you can just you know do any bottle spell for example or container spell. Well, actually, a, a potted plant spell is a container spell. Um, but you can actually take a smaller, you know, bottle or something or, or a piece of hollowed out fruit and you, you know, would put the things in it that, would, that you would normally put in a bottle um, and, you know, bury it and, put, and plant a plant on top of it. Uh, 
and uh, you know there and put it in the appropriate place around your home, and there you have it. It's a great uh, a great little uh, spell. A protection so, one is really good. Uh, you can you know do that. Put some protection herbs and um, like uh, uh, plant a like a cactus on top of it, for example. And then you can put like four railroad ties in the pot uh, at the you know in the four different directions, and put uh, like a buffalo nickel in each of them or um, a uh, Indian head penny. And the Indian head penny can be your lookout, and the buffalo nickels uh, get the spirit of the buffalo to run anybody over who wants to <laughs> come in and mess with you. So that's a so this leads to just an off the wall question as a, and now I do have some native American in my heritage, mm-hmm. but you know, as you're, as an average Caucasian American, how, how readily would the native American spirits want to work with a Caucasian in the U S culture? Um, I, that's hard to say. I, I think it may depend on what you're, relationship is with the ancestors right okay um i just didn't know if anyone had ever ran into some adversity in in american culture with um yeah okay some people are more thorough than others okay mm-hmm. let's just take for example the person who hears this example and just runs out and does it without doing any background work right well, I think it would be I, th- I think it would behoove anybody who is of Caucasian descent who wants to work with native within Native American spirituality at all to make amends to the spirits for um, any historical wrongs that have been done to them. Not necessarily at your hands, but at you know the hands of perhaps your ancestors. Um, so many Indian people were killed without any opportunity for healing. And so we have a lot of our, our ancestors who are, are still um, uh, suffering, and we need to pray for them. That's, that's one of the things we do in ceremonies. We pray for our ancestors because they didn't have time, you know, with all the trauma. There was one trauma after another, you know, taken from your homeland, you know, family members murdered, moved across the country, you know, um, it, 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 all these things, rape, being, being raped, you know, all these things that, that happen. And... Um, the inherent healing mechanisms of their cultures were inaccessible to them. Uh, and so they had one trauma after another, and, and you know, the way to the grave is that way. So, you know, that, that's, that's a very important thing. And I think if you're sincere in just wanting the healing of the people, uh, the sacred circle, which is both sides, you know, um, healing of, of, of the races, in general, um, I think they're going to be much more willing to uh, work with you. That's that's really great advice. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now, one of, one of the things about uh, New Orleans voodoo, and we, we cover that we we cover this a, a little bit about some of the African traditional religions is is there seems to be a lot of contention sometimes. Uh, you know, people absolutely asserting they're the only way. You mm-hmm. know. I mean, you don't seem that way, so thank you for that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're welcome. I wouldn't um, be so, yeah, I wouldn't be so presumptuous. 
Do you think that's just a kind of a? It seems to be more prevalent, and and and, and even in New Orleans, Voodoo, I've heard numerous people go back and forth. They say, "Hey, this person over here is is wrong." Do you think that that comes about because there's no like pope? There's no there there. This is a lot like gumbo, and everyone, especially in New Orleans, has a uh, a deep history of kind of. I don't want to say carny and spirituality, but it is a place that people go to to pay for spiritual services more so than other cities. I don't know that that's the, the case. Um, or at least has that reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not so so. I'm not quite sure what your question is about that. I'm just saying, if you think that. Uh, is that just a natural outcome because there's no set way of doing things that there seems to be so much contention or, you know, the, you think, you know, that's kind of the negative social aspects pop out every once in a while or do you think it's just, it's, it's overblown or, or Facebook just overblows it in practice? <laughs> well, um, I, I think there's, there, there's, First, there's a, mi a misconception that that pretty much anything goes in New Orleans voodoo, and that's not the case. Uh, even yeah. even in gumbo, even in gumbo, yes, everybody has their own little little you know twist to it. But gumbo's not gumbo without the Holy Trinity. Okay, y if you don't have the Holy Trinity in the gumbo, you don't have gumbo. You got something else. You might have stew or whatever, but it's not gumbo. So same thing with New Orleans voodoo. You know, we we have there's a lot of room for um, you know. Uh, uh, personalization and improvisation but there are still guidelines that we have to you know adhere to in order for it to be New Orleans voodoo does that make sense absolutely maybe you could tell us some of those I know I'm putting you on the spot again sorry <laughs> yeah well you know there's there's appropriate ways to petition the spirit um, you know uh, just like it is in you know, Haitian voodoo or whatever. I mean, you have to, you know, uh, address Papa Legba first, you know. We, we also address Papa Gede. So at the same time, we're, you know, um, uh, th that shows our, I think, uh, the importance that, that's placed on ancestors um, to work with uh, Papa Gede and, and Papa Legba in the beginning of any ritual, any uh, ceremony. Um, you know, as as a community and in the in a as a community ceremony, there's absolutely a litany of service. Um, you know, so yeah, those are some of the things that are necessary um, for it to be voodoo as a religion. Yes, and yeah, that's definitely a parallel with the Haitian voodoo, the fact that you must address Legba first when you go to mm -hmm. commune with the other spirits. And mm -hmm. I take from what you're saying that Papa Gede would be addressed um, as similar to how some would address Baron Sumdi mm -hmm. um, before speaking with the dead. Right, exactly. exactly. I'm interested in the parallel between Papa Gede and Baron Sumdi. It, how does that work in New Orleans voodoo? Um, that's a that's a really good question. Um, he's uh, you know, 
Papa Geta is the, is the lord of the cemeteries. He's considered the counterpart to Baron Samity. Um, so they're, they're not quite the same, but they're similar. Uh, don't you all have Papa Geta and uh, Haitian Voodoo also? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a few different barons. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, yeah Papa Geta it would be would be up there. They kind of, it's kind of, you, your hesitation is kind of right to, not right, but I mean, it's kind of ambivalent as they seem to be similar, but they have different flavors, but they are very, very similar. Right, right. And, I mean, and they can both escort souls into the afterlife, you know, they can both, you know, they're both there, but they, yeah, there's, there's, they're different. It's like they have different temperaments, but there's enough dead people that the same spirit, the same type of spirit can uh, do the same job because there's so many dead people that you could have different temper, different temperaments almost. Right, right. Yeah, and I was just curious, like, in the New Orleans flavor, if there was any, I don't know, if it was more like a matter of opinion, like I prefer... Sumdi over Gede, or if it was like each one was called for specific purposes. I think there is. I think there is definitely a component of preference and just personal relationship with particular, you know, Gede. Um, uh, and then I think also uh, there's, you know, what what the purpose is for for calling forth, you know, any of them. So I think it's a combination, actually. Okay. Yeah. I think I think that is very similar to, you know, uh, Haitian voodoo, and and my experience of New Orleans voodoo was very similar to that. It's very yeah. similar. There's there's certain gaiety that you just they're they're at that level of like Papa gaiety, and you just mm-hmm. have a closer relationship, and it's it depends on what's going on, which one pops out. And I think it's just maybe just more uh, you know tradition that we see at least from what I've seen it seems to me to be more propaganda that is included to begin with in the beginning of, the, of, of a, a ritual but um, that certainly could be you know somebody else may certainly have a different experience than, than you know what I'm what I've been exposed to so um, yeah there you go now one of the things that is maybe not more recent but I mean, you ser- you have one book of, about serving the seven African powers, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, New Orleans voodoo uh, adopting a lot of the Ocha and uh, what we commonly call Santeria uh, practices, and kind of adopting them as well. I don't know that, it, that we adopted the Santeria. I think uh, it, it's part of the Yoruban, um, you know, mm-hmm. African. It, it's the direct, you know, um, lineage to Africa. You know, Santeria is something that developed once uh, the spirits came over to this side. Um, but, you know, we already had them. They were brought, and, and so we, um, we've kept them. Um, I, I don't. I mean, that's that's the way I understand it. No, that's a good way. That's that's great. I mean, uh, you know, some people will 
uh, will criticize you know New Orleans voodoo because it does this, but that's an even better way to say it. I mean, basically, your the slaves had brought these spirits uh, with them. Mm-hmm. Right, and in, in some ways, I think you know these things that set us apart. Really, if you look at it historically, we have a very African flavor to our to our voodoo. It's not. Uh, uh, a corrupted form of voodoo, like a lot of people seem to jump to. I think folks that criticize that need to take a, a closer look at history with regards to how voodoo came to New Orleans. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't an afterthought. <laughs> it was the beginning. It was a, it's a continuation. Um, yeah, so, you know, and the Loas were, were, you know, definitely spirits that developed um, after it, it got here. Um, you know, we have our own that that have popped up, you know, with Marie Laveau, Dr. John, Annie Christmas, the different, you know, New Orleans-specific Loas. And then, of course, we have the Haitian um, Loas as well. So not everybody, of course, is going to uh, serve all of them. Nobody does. There's too many, right? But we acknowledge, um, you know, that that they're all there. They're all part of our pantheon, and even the you know the native the native spirits as well. Like I said, it's a very inclusive tradition. Um, yeah. It yes, that's. Um, I think what I find interesting is, in both flavors of voodoo, you do have a. A tradition of elevating someone to a, a venerated dead or or a highly respected ancestor who eventually mm -hmm. works the way up to Lawahood. Um, right. Would you care to talk about the process in New Orleans voodoo for how someone is elevated from just a revered dead spirit to being an actual Lawah with a veve? I, I um hmm, that's a good question. I. I don't know that I can really be specific about that. Um, I haven't really analyzed how that happens other than we, you know, a person has done something so significant in their lifetime when they were alive that, you know, such as Marie Laveau, and we've talked about Dr. Martin Luther King. They, they were so special, there was something so significant about them in their lifetime that when they died of course they were revered ancestors and over time they their legacy just continued on and had so much of an influence on us after they passed that eventually it just happens i mean I'm, it just you know some people consider marie laveau a loa now some people will say she's working her way to it i personally consider herself a loa and i consider dr john a loa i don't consider them working their way up they they are um, had such an influence on New Orleans voodoo that um, you know they've proven themselves over time. That uh, special, significant influence that they've had has not died down after their death. It's it oh, only certainly. Increased. It's well, only I think I think probably the more important factor in considering these people Lawa is the results they get in ritual as Lawa, proving themselves in the spirit form. Right. Right. Well, certainly, Marie Laveau, you know, there's a lot of people who get very good results from her and from Dr. John. And, um, 
they've you know to the point every year people leave go down and leave stuff at at least at her grave oh yeah even though there's some contention whether that is the right grave or not mm-hmm right and people do that all all times of the year whenever they need a special you know we've got the new orleans wish wishing it's called the new orleans wishing tomb spell you know that that anybody pretty much can do not everybody does it correctly but there's all kinds of variations on the theme but she's definitely so, the one you would go to hey what what would you consider the correct method Okay, the way I was taught was that you bring her something and don't leave her pennies, okay? She will scoff at you. <laughs> Do not bring her pennies. Bring her something nice, you know? Treat her like the queen she is. You want to bring her some champagne. Bring her, you know, if you're gonna, and if you're going to donate money, don't give it to her. You want to donate money to a worthy charity. That's what she did, and that's how she lived her life. You know, she would rather you carry on that part of her legacy than to offer, you know, some spare change. That does her nothing, you know. Um, so I always tell people that's one of the best offerings you can do for her is to make, you know, a, a donation to a charity in her name, in her spirit. Um, and then what you would bring to the graveside would be, you know, uh, food, nice food, and, you know, uh, like I said, champagne or something like that, uh, hairdresser, you know, um, uh, things, mirrors, things like that. Um, so you want to bring her a nice offering. That's the first thing. And the second thing, now, mind you, when I was taught this, I was very young. This is in the 60s, okay? Okay. And it's different now. Now, I would tell people, don't do this, because... The family really has tried for a long, 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 long time to have people stop writing graffiti on her gravesite. So right. now I, I would definitely, you know, um, honor that. As a kid, as a youngster, um, I didn't. Um, it wasn't something that was stressed. So you know, we'd go down there, make make the offering, and pre- all over St. Louis Cemetery Number One, there's red brick. All over New Orleans, there's red bricks. So the tradition is you pick up, a, and next to her grave, there's lots of red bricks, pieces of red bricks or whatever. Um, so you pick up, you know, a piece of the red brick, and you mark three, you make your wish, you mark three X's on the on her grave. Uh, some say you knock three times on it, so, you know, you knock three times, mark your three X's, um, ask her for what you want, uh, turn around, and go across to St. Louis uh, Cathedral and light a candle and that's it. Now you do that after you've made the offerings though, right? Right, right. Make the offering, you know, write your three X's, turn around, go light your candle and, you know, in honor of her. Um, and nowadays, yeah. nowadays you want to just make the X's with your finger on the, on the tombstone. You know, you make... You know, instead of actually oh, yeah, drawing them on there. Yeah. And yeah. I think something you hit on that I've seen left out in most descriptions is definitely going across the streets of the cathedral and burning a candle in her honor. Right. And that's because most of the time you hear things, it's from people who are not from within the tradition. So those are the little things that, that you know, we learn and know growing up in the tradition that aren't necessarily 
um, common knowledge. Secret information. I'm deeper yeah. down the rabbit hole. Thank you. See? <laughs> Next time I go to New Orleans, I'm going to go do that. Awesome. Which, which awesome. I go, it's been a while. I need to go back, actually. Remember, kids, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Or just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's not true, and it doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> Either way. Right. That too. That too, yes. Right, use discretion. So we got about seven minutes left, and one of the things I, you know, that I, I can't show people uh, on radio is how beautiful your dolls and art pieces actually are, and um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you personally infuse uh, your magic with art, and, and I've seen a lot of your dolls. They're truly beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, wow, I I wish I could really take a lot of credit for it, but it really is a spirit-driven thing. You know, they, they really create themselves, and I'm just, I'm like the vehicle, you know, for creating them. Um, I, uh, I have to ask their permission uh, to make them, and if, if this particular spirit is not wanting to be made, I can't make the doll. It, you know, it messes up, it just doesn't look right, you know, all of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I have to get in the right, the right frame of mind and, um, you know, um, ask, ask the spirit, let them know that this is what, you know, um, I, I want to do. And um, always make an offering to that spirit also for allowing me to make the doll and to sell the doll for money because they're helping me make a living. So I can't just make it, make them, and use their <laughs> use their spirits for my, you know, sustenance, and not pay them for it, you know, not uh, honor them and revere them for it. So uh, it's it's definitely kind of a, a spiritual um, co-creation process that happens. Um, okay, yeah. so to clarify for the audience. The terminology that you're using, do you view these dolls as a spirit that is coming into being or a vessel for a pre-existent spirit? Both. Depends on what doll I'm making. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, we got about five minutes left, and I'm really bad about doing this usually. So, why don't, uh, if you, people want to get in contact with you, how, how could they do so? Um, well, you can always find me on Facebook, uh, Denise Alvarado, easy to find. Um, my, my website is planetvoodoo.com. Uh, so that's two really good ways to contact me. Um, yeah. And, uh, I know that you're going, you have been teaching some uh, online classes on, on the Conjure Corner. Uh, maybe right. if people want to learn how to uh, do Conjure from you, how, how could they sign up to uh, take some of your classes? Oh, yeah. Um, ConjureCorner.com. Uh, you got to be a member of Conjure Corner, and then once you're inside, you have... Uh, you know, you can see which classes that can be taken. Um, 
and you sign up for them once you're on the inside. And uh, I've got two classes starting tomorrow, Foundations of Southern Root Work and Foundations of New Orleans Voodoo. And then in December, we've got the Spiritual Traditions of Marie Laveau. Those are the three uh, that are out right now. Uh, I'm signing up for now. So, And I, and I think the, the classes offer uh, some unique material and a, a different perspective on things that maybe you might see elsewhere. Because we are, you know, my focus is on New Orleans uh, tradition. So it's gonna, that's what you're going to see in those classes. I can't say enough, uh, everyone listening. I mean, I have lots of her books. Um, she really goes through, gives you the formulas that other books kind of dance around, and really tells you how to do them. Every book that I've gotten uh, from Denise, I've been really happy with, actually. So that's pretty good endorsement there. Um, awesome. Because I'm pretty <laughs> kind of a snob, actually, about books. Well. <laughs> yes, he is He is definitely a snob about books. He has a very extensive and great library. But when it comes to the voodoo and the hoodoo stuff, you better believe he's a snob. In <laughs> That's a good, a good way. thing, though. That's a good thing. Well, I'll put you this way. If you're going to be a voodoo priest, you better take it seriously. No kidding. That's true, huh? Uh, that, that's probably wise words of advice to... Uh, end the show with <laughs> if you're going to yeah. be a voodoo priest take it seriously <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone uh, next week next week is Thanksgiving so next week we actually have another pair X person uh, coming to the show and that will be Layden uh, Denise if you could stay on the line um, everyone Layden runs uh, Metaphysically Speaking and she's going to talk about gratitude which Surprisingly enough, we started to touch on it in this show as well. Uh, and the if metaphysical effects that gratitude can have on your life. And that's a, I think, perfect show for to run into Thanksgiving. And with that, I want to express my gratitude to the Illuminist, whose fine, awesome music you made for the show. Thank you again. We love it, and thank you for doing that. And with that, we'll see everyone next week. And thanks again to the Loomis, who will take us on out. <laughs>